Good morning, everybody. Uh, uh, in 2009, December, I moved my entire family to the city of Chicago. It, my sons were five, seven, and nine, and my wife and I decided we'd take this adventure, and we had a job over there with a the church, and so we packed up our, uh, our 10 suitcases. We're allowed two each, and we boarded a plane for Chicago, and it was summer here, and we landed. And it was like 40 degrees, and we landed. It was minus 40 degrees. It was so cold. And I'm built like a seal, and I thought it was even cold. I'm quite a large man, and so we uh, got off the plane, and it was quite cold, and we uh, began to live and work in Chicago. And four weeks after I got there, my son was diagnosed with leukemia. And so it was quite an interesting journey. He went through three and a half years of chemotherapy. And we got to know several of the charity organizations that work with kids with cancer. One of those was Starlight. And uh, Starlight was an incredible organization that would raise money for people, uh, kids, kids with sickness. And uh, we got invited to a charity event where we were the guest VIPs with all of these very wealthy people. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around people who are much wealthier than you. It was quite an experience for us. We had a beat-up old car that somebody had given to us, and we pulled up to the valet, and we were in front of a, an Audi, and behind us was a limo, and, and we kind of pulled out of our car to the, to the valet, and we got to our table at the back of this large um, hall, and uh, they, the organisers were lovely. It was a, it's a wonderful organisation. But this is a purely fundraising event. And I'd never really been among so many wealthy people. I think the tickets were like $1,000 a seat. And there was diamonds in the gift bag. It was amazing. And the guest speaker of this event was Cindy Crawford. I don't know if you remember uh, Cindy Crawford. She was a model in my youth. I'm 45. She'd been on a couple movies. And uh, she was the guest speaker at this charity event. And uh, it was an incredible kind of moment or insight into being around very wealthy people because Cindy Crawford, she'd flown by a private plane from California over to Chicago, but she came up to my wife and talked to my wife about what's it like to have a member of her family sick. See, her brother had passed away with leukemia. And it was at that moment I thought, you know, sickness is the great equalizer. You know, often in society, we, we, we are often defined by power and position. We often can, you know, our own job or whether we've studied or, you know, wherever we come from, where we live, we sometimes have these labels. But I realize that often uh, when you have a sickness, it doesn't discriminate. And, uh, you know, so we'd go to the hospital, there would be um, you know, Hispanic people, you know, you know, white people, uh, black Americans. We, we knew that every particular culture was affected by sickness. And I want to talk to you about how the kingdom, um, you know, in our culture, we often have different levels of the economy. And I want to talk to you from the, the book of Mark. It's a book in the Bible, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43, where I think Jesus addresses some of this. So let me read it to you, and I'll just talk to it. When Jesus went back across the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. A leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jarius, came and fell down before him, pleading with him to heal his little daughter. She's about to die, he said, in desperation. Please come and place your hand on her and heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and the crowd thronged behind him. I think it's always very interesting about people's posture in the Bible. So here's Jarius. He's a local synagogue leader. He probably was wealthy. Scholars believe that he probably had a position of power and influence. People who study the Bible say this. And I think it's true that here's a guy who falls to his knees and begs Jesus to come with him. Now, really, that should be the end of the story. Kind of Jesus goes with him, heals his daughter, so on. But we have this other 
story happening in the middle of the story. I want to point this out to you. So Jesus goes with him, and then it says, and then in verse 25, and there was a woman in the crowd who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors throughout the years and had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she was worse. This is a terrible story. This particular woman, she was bleeding all the time, hemorrhaging. That in Jewish society would have made her unclean. She would have been unable to interact with other Jewish people. She would absolutely, it was illegal for her to touch a rabbi because she was unclean and Jesus was called a rabbi. He taught in the temple. So her even interacting with Jesus was banned. It was actually very risky. She could have been stoned. And uh, in this particular situation, she spent all her money and she was worse. I want you to think about in society about people who are often looked down on. Sometimes we cross the road or maybe you, we have judgments about people. In this particular society, this particular disease would have been seen the worst of the worst. And she spent every cent. It's such a terrible story. And she got worse. And then let me just read a little bit further. She'd heard about Jesus. And so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched the fringe of his robe. A couple of observations I want to make. Firstly, not everybody comes to Jesus through the front doors of the church. You might be listening on today and maybe you've never been to church before. You don't have to go to church to find Jesus. So often I'm trying to teach the church to be Jesus's hands and feet. And you know, this woman doesn't come the traditional way. She actually reaches up through the crowd and grabs the hem of his garment. It would have been the Jewish men wore this very uh, prayer garment and it was this kind of tassel hanging off the end and some people believe she grabbed that very fringe in her faith for she thought to herself if i can just touch his clothing i will be healed immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel that she had been healed jesus realized at once the healing power had gone out from him so he turned around to the crowd and asked who touched my clothes his disciples said to him all this crowd is pressing around you how can you ask, who touched me? I always think the Bible is a really accurate story of humanity and how we act. I think the disciples are hilarious. They're like, uh, everybody's touching you, Jesus. Like, surely, you know, the person, you're in a crowd. Like, there's no social distancing going on here. So, but Jesus knows that something special has happened. And he kept asking, who touched me? He kept looking around, the Bible says, verse 32. He kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened, came to him and fell at his feet. And again, noticed the posture on her knees, same as Jairus, and told him what, had, what she had done. Uh, other, uh, uh, other translations say she shared her whole truth, or in some ways uh, she spoke her story. And what's so beautiful about this is that Jesus listens to her told her whole truth, told her story. I want to say to you this morning that Jesus cares about your story. The God of the universe is asking you. He wants to know what's happening in your life. This is what prayer is about. It's about sharing our story. It's about listening to him and, and, and experiencing his love. The Savior of the world is very interested in your story. What is your story? He knows every favorite color, every scrape and bruise everything that you've experienced the highs and lows he's not silent he's not distant he's with you every step of the moment and he's interested in our story and this woman would have been judged she could have been stoned 
But listen to Jesus' response. He hears her story, and then he says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You have been healed. This is just a beautiful description of Jesus equalizing the world. This is what I think about the kingdom of God, that a man of power is brought to his knees, and Jesus is interested in the rich. He goes to Jairus' house, but this woman who, who in some ways would have been considered like an animal, would have been considered the lowest of the low. She couldn't go to temple. She wouldn't have been able to go to the market. She, she would have had a terrible life. Jesus does not label her as any of those things. He calls her daughter. I love this about the gospel. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the ultimate equalizer. What happened in that moment of exchange? Jairus and that woman became brothers and sisters. And this is what happens in the kingdom of God. As we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we become brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter what country you were born. It doesn't matter where you work. Uh, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have. They're all, you know, th- these are are great things, but let me tell you, the kingdom of God makes us equal brothers and sisters. I personally understand this for my life. My mum was a Greek-Egyptian immigrant who migrated in the 70s. We lived in a housing commission in Dufton, and my mum has suffered with mental illness her whole life, and I've had several fathers. I never met my biological father. I had another dad from sort of four till nine, and then I had another one from sort of 15 to 18, and and we lived in very poor accommodation, housing commission accommodation. And yet somehow God interacted in my life. I got to become a follower of Jesus in my teens, and uh, uh, an amazing amount of people spoke into my life. And, and I'm so grateful that I found Jesus, who never treated me as a second-class citizen, but actually calls me son. And I, I, I hope today that you'll hear this message, that the kingdom of God is the great equalizer, that so often we can put labels on people and, and not really understand where, the way God sees people. There's something about uh, being labeled. You know, I know when I was a kid, I, I felt this label of being a, from a single-parent home and so often we these labels stick on us. Maybe you've had that spoken over your life. Maybe people have put labels on you or words on you that are unfair. Maybe you feel judged and maybe you feel unfairly that people haven't heard your story. I w- would hope that there'll be a church around you or some Christians around you who will listen to your story and see you through the eyes of God. I love this story. I love that... Uh, Jesus goes on to to uh, to walk with Jairus and and see his daughter healed. I just want to tell you a couple of stories that mean a lot to me. Um, there's an organisation in St Kilda called the St Kilda Gatehouse, and it provides spaces of belonging and safety for women involved in street-based sex work in St Kilda, and with young women and girls affected by sexual exploitation. Many of these uh, the gatehouse supports are tackling complex issues of addiction and homelessness, mental illness, poverty, domestic violence, abuse, and social isolation. And St Kilda Gatehouse creates spaces of belonging and connection, providing opportunities for individuals to experience social inclusion with respect and unconditional acceptance. When I became the lead pastor at Casey, my wife and I's friend had become the CEO of Gatehouse. And so one of the first things we did within a month was to ask Sally, what could we do to support Gatehouse? 
and they needed a they have an op shop in St Kilda and and so we did a big drive and we had Sally come out and speak and and so often uh, sometimes the the kind of argument in a sex, sexual exploitation is you know that could be your mother that could be your sister but she talked about her being a person she gave a TED talk actually and she said you know all of these women they're people that's how God sees them of value you know the 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 king of the universe sent his son, tore a hole in time and space and sent his son. And even if it was for one person, it's you have value. This shows you the value of how God sees humanity in each of us. And so Gatehouse have started a second drop-in center in Dandenong. The Young Women's Project supports young women and girls aged between 12 and 25 who are at the risk of being affected by sexual exploitation in the southeast suburbs. And so they developed a response to the stories and experiences they shared with the women in St Kilda. And this evidence-based understanding of the experience of childhood trauma and abuse and family breakdown, poverty and lack of tradition, traditional supports can increase the likelihood of sexual exploitation. So when they launched this centre, we said to Sally, what do we need to do to volunteer? And so a number of women in our church have been cooking meals for the last four years for all of their support group. It's a wonderful ministry or outreach program to stop uh, the girls getting into this kind of lifestyle. And exploitation could be as much as trading food for sex or maybe a boyfriend who would uh, lend her part, their partner out uh, to other guys. There's all sorts of ways that women are exploited in our society. And so we started to throw birthday parties for some of the girls who live in residential care. You know, all of us have a birthday. We all, most of us on this, listening to this message would have somebody say to us, happy birthday and maybe bake us a cake or give us presents. But many of these young women live in these residential houses with other young girls. They don't have anybody ever utter their name. And so the, the gatehouse leadership asked us if we would throw birthday parties for these young women. And so I remember my wife who volunteers down there said to me, she came home in tears, just telling me the stories of the first time some of these young women opened the lid of their cake and saw their name on it. They cried out in excitement, this has my name on it, my name. And just what it's like to have individual presents wrapped for them, have people who care about them. My wife's been going down for four or five years. She's got to know many of the girls' story. And she so loves every uh, four or eight weeks they put on these um, these morning teas and these birthday parties. There is something about people knowing our name. There is something about people recognizing us and seeing us. And there's something very beautiful about the kingdom of God that's involved in people's story. I think whatever the church is, it needs to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I want to say to you, you know, if you've had a, a bad experience with Christians, if you maybe weren't treated like this, I'm sorry. But I think the vast majority of Christians are trying to follow in the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is not judgment. The way of Jesus is love. It's a love revolution. It reaches its hands out and says, you have a place at this table, that you're not judged by your past. You're not judged by what your your history is. You know, there was a story about a woman who uh, lived in Colombia and she was incredibly... Uh, Charismatic, and she would say to her mum, "Mum, one day I, I want to, I want to go to the city, and I want to experience the, the all the things of 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 the city." And her mum, they, they had a very simple hut, a kind of dusty floor, a simple mat, 
And her mum would kind of laugh it off. And her mum was out in the farm one day. She came home and saw a note from her daughter that she'd, she'd gone to try a life in the city. She broke her piggy bank, got every cent that she owned, and got on a bus to the city, hoping to find her daughter. As soon as she got off the bus, she went to one of those photo booths and took a photo, as many photos as she could afford, and wrote a note on the back of it. Then she went to the bars and hotels and motels all around the main city. And after a few days, she couldn't find her daughter. She boarded it home to depressed and sad and uh, kind of defeated that she hadn't found her daughter. Days turned to weeks, weeks turned to months. Her daughter descended the, the stairs of a sleepy hotel. Sometimes when you're hungry, you'll do things that maybe you hadn't thought you'd do before. Her daughter descended this particular stairs and someone caught her eye on a notice board. Was it a photo of her mum? Could it be? Transfixed, she went across the room, stretched out her arm. Shaking and trembling, she pulled the photo off the notice board. When was her mother here? It felt like a flash of a memory of another life, another time, so long ago. And something inside of her said, turn the photo over. And so she did. And written on the back of her mum's handwriting was, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, I love you. Come home. And so she did. You know, so often we put these barriers of our life, these things that have happened to us that kind of push us away from coming to Jesus. But I think the kingdom of God is exactly like this story where he calls us daughter and son and he invites us into his kingdom. He makes us sons and daughters. We belong to a, a family of other Christians who all of us have experienced brokenness. All of us have fallen short. All of us need his saving. And simply, I think, to follow Jesus is to acknowledge that in our life. You know, uh, when I was 16, my wife's dad passed away and he was a pastor in our church and I really looked up to him and I remember thinking as a young 16 year old kid I was knowing the lawn I was thinking oh Uncle Rodney's in heaven now he can see like everything I do I don't know if this is good theology but you know he he, he I better be good because you know I'd like to date her one day and then I remember thinking I just sort of stopped about two minutes later and I was like God can see everything all the time and so often our sins or our, our actions or our bad behaviors draw us away from God. But I really think that his death on the cross and his resurrection is to give us a new life, that we would have a second chance, that his Holy Spirit would come into us and help us in our daily lives to have his fruits, the Bible says, of kindness and love and patience and gentleness, that I am so glad that I made that decision when I was a kid. And even though I've had lots of dads and have had an interesting life i know that i'm a better husband and a better follower of jesus and a better father and i can still do way better and i'm still asking every day for god to change me from the inside out but he does and i think the more we get around other christians other people who are trying to follow him the same way there's something changing us and i think we get to to uh rub off on each other and influence each other one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is John 3.22. It says, Jesus went from Jerusalem to Judea, where he spent 
time with these disciples, these young men, some fishermen, a, a tax collector, a zealot. They were all this rowdy bunch. They were not the chosen elite of the Jewish people. And the word spent time is not sufficient, but in the Greek word, it means diatribo. It means literally for skin to rub through the skin. And I'm here today because several uh, guys took an interest in me and discipled me and spoke life into me. And I, you know, I have this Bible here that I was reading from this morning. And it was written by my youth pastor from when I was a kid. And uh, he gave it to me. Happy birthday, Kim. We pray that this book, the Word of God, continues to inspire you and challenge you and call you to change. And so often when Steve would write me a card, this was written uh, in 2002. And so often when I, uh, I was a kid and Steve would give me a card, he would say, you will do greater things than me. And so I am so grateful for having that investment. I hope you find someone like that. I hope you'll get into a into a community that will draw out the best in you, that will treat you like the King of Kings does, see you for the way that he sees you as a son and daughter. And there's always a second chance times infinity. And don't be defined by what labels have been placed over you. You know, I'm, I really pray today, I'm going to pray in a moment, that you'll see and sense the love of God right now in your car, in your home, listening that you'll know that this is how God feels about you, that you are loved, that you are cherished, that if you were the only person existing on the world, he would come and die and be raised again. And it isn't just a ticket into heaven. It isn't like Willy Wonka, we get this ticket and we get into heaven and we live our life. But actually it's about seeing the kingdom of God brought to earth, to see injustices right, to care for the widow, the orphan, the prisoner, all of those who have been marginalized. He reaches out his arms and he calls them family. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for every listener right now, wherever they are in their journey of faith, whether they don't know you at all or whether they're uh, someone who's trying to follow you like this, to follow in your footsteps, I pray that your presence and your peace be with them today. I pray that we won't label people, judge people, or ride them off because we don't know their story that we'll enter into our neighbours and our friends' stories, that we'll sit in their pain, we'll understand where they're coming from. Father, I pray that we'll see the body of Christ really be your hands and feet, that people don't have to always come through the front doors of the church, but that people are reaching out, looking for you in all sorts of ways in the society. May we be there to tell our story of your incredible grace and redemption. And I thank you for these stories in this book, that they inspire us today. In Jesus' name, amen.